Hey, good evening, Cuse Nation. Welcome to the Upstate Orange Podcast on FingerLakes1.tv. I'm Jim Sinecropi, live inside the FingerLakes1.com studios in downtown Seneca Falls, New York, on Sunday night, December 18th, 2016. Merry Christmas, everybody. Not such a merry feeling in the Carrier Dome, though, on Saturday. Embarrassing loss to Georgetown in the Dome on Pro Washington Day, no less. Uh, pretty disgusted by it all. We're going to talk about it tonight in our Big Five Topics. We'll talk about our fondest memories of Dwayne Pearl Washington. Um, for Brad and I, who I'll be bringing into the show here, uh, you know, we were in fifth, sixth grade, I think, when Pearl came to Syracuse. And um, he was, everybody loved the Pearl. Um, so we'll share some of our memories we got some great orange trivia, courtesy of the professor, Brad Connor, in just a moment. First, I got to tell you that the Upstate Orange Podcast is brought to you by Generations Bank, with locations in Auburn, Farmington, Geneva, Phelps, Seneca Falls, Union Springs, and Waterloo. Be sure to check out their mobile banking app or visit them online at mygenbank.com. And Brad, um, we were so, so excited about this Syracuse team. Even Jim Beheim was excited, saying it was the best team he's had in a long time. They've got four losses before Christmas. When have they had four losses before Christmas? I don't think they've ever had four losses before Christmas under Beheim. I mean, I, I didn't go and check, but I can't remember them losing four games before Christmas. Can you? Or maybe I should look that one up. I, I wish I knew the answer to that. I should probably uh, figure that out for the end of And, you know, to Georgetown, no less. And, uh, you know, well, I guess the first question we got to ask here as we get right underway is, uh, well, that's not it. What the hap- what happened to all my topics? Um, well, the first topic is, have we hit rock bottom? Or can it get worse? I mean, can it get worse than this? What do you think? I mean, generally speaking, there's nothing worse than losing to Georgetown. But I mean, if this team, I, I don't. It's you can't even describe what's happening with this team. They 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 beat the absolute crap out of these mid-major teams, but they have no. They, they can't. Even, they can barely hang with any team that's in a good conference. So they're going to play Eastern Michigan. They'll probably kill them. Yeah, but. They could lose to St. John's easily, you know, and St. John's is terrible, but St. John's is in a good conference, so the trend is they lose to teams that are good in good conferences. Can it get worse? Yeah, this team could lose to Boston College. This nah. team could lose to Virginia Tech. This team could lose to Clemson. This team could lose to Miami. This team could lose a lot of ACC games. <laughs> this could get a lot worse. Yeah, that's kind of scary um, because I could have never imagined it would be this bad. You know, you can understand we're going to lose at Wisconsin. I can see that. the Losing to UConn at the Garden, that UConn team, um, that's hard to believe, but Georgetown in the Dome on Pearl Washington Day, um, you know, and a lot of talk was, is Georgetown even a rival or the players on this team don't understand what type of rival? Apparently not, because they didn't come and play like it was a rivalry game. Um, you know, it was the first really big-time uh, Dome game for a lot of these guys. You know, not only our freshmen, but our grad transfers, you know, big crowd, Saturday afternoon game, national television. And you know they laid an egg. They, it's, it was, uh, it was disgusting. When when it got towards the end, you realize they're going to lose that game. I wanted to throw up. I, yeah. I, it matters to me that we lose to Georgetown. It, it sucks. I, we lost twice in a row now to Georgetown. That's terrible. Georgetown's so not was, good. You made a good point, and that's something I thought about yesterday. Is the energy level on this team, and this is consistent throughout the season, really. Is the energy level is it, is no is not existent practically, and yesterday in a game against Georgetown, it didn't seem like it meant any more to this team than a game against Boston University, or against Holy Cross, or against South Carolina State. It just seemed like a game to these guys. And as anybody who's followed this program and who's, who's you know lived and breathed this program for as long as you and I have, and and many more <laughs> that have gone even further. I mean, that's that's indescribable. The Georgetown game in the first half of that game, it didn't seem like the team had any energy at all. And even going into the second half, 
so the, about midway through the second half, series put the press on. You started to see the energy level pick up. They forced the turnover. They were able to get Georgetown rattled a little bit. Bad charge call. Press, and that was it. And then it was just another game, and then they just kind of played out the string. And, and there was it didn't seem like our guys were kind of bothered by the result at all. Yeah, and I will say that charge call at the end of the game um, really swung things away. That was an opportunity that we had. Um, that was a block. He was moving, but yeah. no, they're, they're, even Jay Billis agreed. Yeah. He didn't at first, but then they showed it again. I mean, you know, you try to avoid the contact. You're supposed to be able to to get the benefit of that call, and you didn't. They didn't. But it's more than one play why they lost this game. They were out rebounded, forty-one to thirty, and really the stat for me is if you check this out, they both both teams shot twenty-five three free throws. Um, the Hoyas made 22, Syracuse made 14. So Georgetown made eight more free throws than we did. Taking, we both took the same amount, and we lost by seven. So right there alone, you know, right there alone, uh, we lost it at the free throw line. Um, yeah, and that's getting back to Syracuse teams of old. And I mean, this team is supposed to be good shooters, and you you would hope that by now that that old bugaboo is gone, but it doesn't seem to be. And you know, the other thing is we get. Career-high 29 points for Tyler Lydon, you know, nine rebounds. Lydon was great. We talk about how he deep this team is, you know, and how he, many he options they have. put team on his shoulders, and his shoulders just weren't wide enough. Yeah, because the rest of the – Tyler was 12 of 13 shooting. The rest of the orange was 12 for 42. <laughs> you know, I mean – How awful is that? So the rest of the team made as many field goals as Lydon did, except he shot 13 times. They shot 42 times, and – it's disgusting, and it's across the board. Um, and we'll and we'll talk about it in more detail, I guess, with some of these big five topics coming up here. But um, no, they haven't hit rock bottom. It could get worse, but this is a world, and it happened last year too. Um, it's been happening a lot more recently than you think. Is that you know we're Syracuse is always on the good side of that NCAA bubble, you know, always. And last year we had to sweat it, and this year we're going to have to really sweat it no matter what we do going forward. Um, this team doesn't have a quality win yet. And, you know, you wonder, is it the system? You know, the players are different. There's no doubt that the players are different than they used to be. Um, just their general attitude and approach is just different. Um, and the whole game of college basketball is different. And I thought Bayheim was a system was kind of evolving. And we're coming off a Final Four run, so it's too early to get too upset. But I don't know what... That I'm watching this year. I, it's not Syracuse basketball, and if it is, um, you know, Syracuse basketball was recently they've had so much trouble scoring. It's like you know the defense, the two-three zone has been so great in past years. Not so much this year yet, but but then all of a sudden we can't score. When when has Syracuse had trouble scoring? On Pearl Washington Day, we used to score points against Georgetown, you know, and um, you know with Patrick Ewing and that whole, but we can't score the basketball. I think this team, and, and you saw it last year as well, this team has become so perimeter-oriented. Yeah. And team, teams have scouted the series out well. I don't think we've seen too much man-to-man against this team all season long. They're, they're being zoned. Yeah, the blueprint. team that's allegedly a good three-point shooting team is being zoned time after time after time. And all this Syracuse team does is just pass it around the perimeter. You know, when you get Torian Thompson in there, he can get some good looks. And, they, you know, they've started to figure that out a little bit. But, you know, at Neuter's Daywan Coleman, he can't do anything. Tyler Robertson's a he, he's barely, he barely, might as well not even be on the yeah. team anymore, and so all they do is just chuck it around the around the perimeter and wait for their best three point look. Yeah, you know, in yesterday's game, I just looked it up. They had twenty three point attempts and thirty seven two point attempts, so that was that was a little bit more in balance. That UConn game, they shot just as many threes as twos, yeah. and that's crazy. It's crazy, and and, and it's it's. It's just not even fun basketball to watch. No. You know, you're just watching the, the jump shooting contest. Yeah. You know, right. I, I like fast breaking basketball. I like to be, you know, have have power guys inside and out, and you can work the inside game. I don't mind a three pointer occasionally. And when your whole offense is predicated on that, that's 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 a re- number one. It's a recipe for disaster if you're not a forty plus percent shooting three point. Yeah. And number two, it's just boring. Yeah, and that's a recipe that mid majors use to upset majors. Um, you know, jacking up the threes. It's not something that a program that recruits top okay. 100 talent, you know, to the hill every year need, should have to right. rely on. And you talk about Torian Thompson being our best inside scoring threat. You know, that might be true, but isn't that kind of sad? That's very sad. 
very sad. You got a fourth a fourth year senior in Tyler Roberson, you got a fifth year senior in Daywan Coleman, and those guys are complete non entities against the zone defense. Well, we're gonna talk about what's going on with Roberson in a second here, but first, um Jim Beheim said in his press conference that if Frank Howard doesn't play better, we're not gonna win. That's the bottom line. And Part of me might agree with that uh, uh, statement if there was some rule that you had to play Frank Howard, but in a lot of these Syracuse, lot that UConn game and this Georgetown game, I was like, get Howard off the court. He's single-handedly blowing this game. Frank Howard took the ball. Uh, you know, he wasn't. He took the ball in one possession, key possession, in the second half yesterday, and he was dribbling, guarded by a Georgetown player. And he just dribbled it out of bounds, you know. Right the ball. And it's, and it's like, what did he just do? Like, I wouldn't expect my eleven-year-old daughter to make that mistake in her rec league kind of game. Team, it's the kind of play that my fifth graders do. Yeah, and absolutely. You, That's exactly what I thought when I saw that. And you know, we get excited about Frank Howard when we see him do good things. You know, which generally against like Boston University or um, you know North Florida, he looks good. But I'm he's plays terrible in these big games, mistake after mistake. And what I don't understand is why is Bayheim leaving him on the court? Why is he, you know, go with Gillen. And, you know, Gillen didn't have the best game ever. He was, Gillen would get to the hole and not finish. And we could talk about Gillen, but I feel a little better with Gillen out there than Howard because Howard's straight up turning it over, making bad decision after bad decision. Um, not, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> what I'm seeing from from Frank Howard's no different than we saw with Caleb Joseph the last two years. You know, it's a, it's it's a complete crisis of confidence with the guy. He, yeah. He's he he's a shell of of what he can do. He he's an entirely different player in the in these big games compared to in the in the lesser games. You know, he's in the lesser games he's attacking the rim, he's seeing angles, he's forcing the action, he's he's confident, he's poised. You know he'll he'll have a loose dribble occasionally, but you you like what you see from him. That's that's the confidence that we had from the beginning of the season to say, yeah, wow, this team can be really good. When you see that type of point guard play, you see what you saw the other you know yesterday. You see you know the same guy that you saw against Wisconsin, against UConn. That's an entirely different player. That's a player that doesn't belong on the court in a game like this. And I think if you know, I, I, John Gillen's not the same guy. He struggles too against against big teams because he's just not big. He's going against bigger guards, bigger, uh, you know, defenders. He has a diff- more difficult time. Frank Howard's six four. He should be able to contend with a, a guy that's guarding him who's six two, six three. Right. And he's quick and he can get into the lane, but he just doesn't. He's just content to pass it around. And when he takes his chances, he's you know dribbling it off his leg. And he's too big a part of the offense in terms of shooting. Same thing with Gillen. You know. We got all this other talent out there. Why uh, is John Gillen, you know, the one taking key shots when we're down in the second half? Um, you know, it, in his yeah. defense, he was getting to the rim. He just wasn't finishing. I don't know. But... I mean, you, you can knock it down, but that's a, and that's a difference, too, against the lesser teams. He was finishing. He, he would yeah. finish with, with contact. He would take it up against big guys, and for whatever reason, now it's just not happening. He, he can get to the rim. He's either getting blocked or somehow it's coming off, and you know they're not getting a rebound. It's a it's a weird like Chuckler hide with these guys. Yeah, you know, well, they'll play tomorrow night against Eastern Michigan, and they'll all be great, and they'll probably score ninety five points. Yeah, right. And we'll say, where is that team against Georgetown? Where is that team against UConn or Wisconsin? I don't know. They're not there. Yeah, you know this team needs like a Lazara Sims. It doesn't, you know. Well, that's a good point, Jim. What you just raised. This team, I think, lacks leadership. Yeah. It truly does. Yeah. And we've said that about some of these teams in the past. Tyler Lydon is probably the leader of this team, but he's not a vocal leader. He's not a guy that's going to rally the team. You know, they miss Michael Benajay way more than I think we really – and Trevor Cooney to the yeah. same, <laughs> same right. degree. I mean, Trevor Cooney was a leader of those guys. I mean, he say what you will about how he played from time to time and how he shot and the, the decisions that he made, but he was a leader. Boy, people respected the heck out of that guy. And I don't think you've got that on this team. Yeah, that's a good point. And one of the guys that you might have been a a good prospect to be a leader is is a senior is Tyler Roberson. He played six minutes against Georgetown. Now, this is another thing I just don't get is what 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 are we doing here with Tyler Roberson? He was a key component of this team, and I know he hasn't done what Bayheim is expected. But how can it be all or nothing? Like six minutes, we got out rebounded in this game by. 11 rebounds to Georgetown. 
and Tyler Roberson plays six minutes. I don't get it, you know, and, and this deep Bayheim team is now down to a seven-man rotation again, of course, you know, and Pasquale Chiku is out with an eye injury, eye surgery, out indefinitely. But, uh, you know, how can – and I've been unhappy with a lot of things Roberson's done too, but six minutes, he's a senior. He's been through it, it all. He's been through Bayheim's doghouse, and usually as a senior, he get a little more benefit of the doubt, but Bayheim's just straight up, you know – Straight up benched him. Yeah, I mean, he said last year, he said if he had a different option other than Tyler Roberson, he'd have used him. You know, he, he wasn't he lying. about Roberson last year, too, and now he's got options. He can go with uh, with Thompson, or he can go with, you know, having having Leiden and Coleman in the game together and not have Roberson. Like, I think he's, he's, he's sort of sticking to his guns of what he said a year ago, but now he's got that, he can follow that thread up with actual decisions. I mean, I, I, I don't... He's he's never been a guy who can create his own shot. He's never been a guy who who you can you can post up and get consistent offense from. But he's been a guy who can deliver rebounding and act right. activity and, and and energy on the on the defensive end. But when he's in there, he doesn't do a whole lot. You don't even realize he's in there half the time when he's in there. Six minutes yesterday, he got one rebound. You know, you yeah. you extrapolate that over a full game, over a forty minute game, he might have six rebounds, maybe. That's if he I mean, plays all forty minutes too. Yeah. That right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's he has been disappointing. Um, it's just wild to see this guy who played, you know, who probably averaged 15 minutes a game as a sophomore, you know, play six minutes in this game against Georgetown. We're getting out-rebounded. And, um, and your best rebounder, a guy who almost had a 20-rebound game in an NCAA tournament. Yeah, a guy who, who had, what, 19 against Duke? 19 boards, was <laughs> yeah. it, against Duke? I know. So, it's crazy. I mean, it's funny because we talked about Tyler Robertson making the leap. You know, guys, big guys make the leap between junior and senior year. It's the exact opposite. I don't, I can't recall ever seeing someone go from a, a consistent contributor for three years to absolutely nothing as a senior. See, Sonny Sparrow might be the last guy. Yeah, that's a good call. You might be right. But and that, but that was based purely on the fact that they finally started to recruit some talent. Yeah. That's not the case with this group. Yeah, it's. Uh... It's disappointing because when you looked at the season, he was a key component. I was looking forward to a solid double-double type of stat line from this guy every night. And, you know, this team's in disarray. It's in disarray. It truly is. It truly is. Well, one thing that's that we know is that Andrew White's going to have a green light to shoot and play 40 minutes a game. Now, does Andrew White really need to play 40 minutes a game? Let me, let me give you his line against Georgetown. I don't think I want to hear it. Yeah, he had 12 points, okay, which if he's our top scorer, 12 points in 40 minutes, 3 of 11 shooting, 2 of 8 from three-pointers. Uh, only four rebounds, one assist. He didn't turn it over, but um, questionable decision-making on some of those baseline drives. Uh, but I like Andrew White, but is he a 40-minute-a-game guy on a roster as deep as this? Um, no, no, absolutely not. I mean, I, I've, I've said the last couple of times that I'm not a huge fan of Andrew White and – I see a lot of Dante Green when I see Andrew White. He, he Andrew White loves Andrew White. Shoot and first. He loves to shoot the basketball. And if he's a starting guard on a Division One basketball team, he should have more than one assist. Yeah, in forty, minutes, 40 minutes. He does not. He does not give a crap about his teammates. I can that that, I, that that's plain for me. Like that's that's what I love about basketball is you can see very plainly what guys are about. There's not no veneer when you watch closely how guys play. How they interact with their teammates, yeah. what type of style they they're most com- most comfortable in. Andrew White just wants to float around the three point line and jack up the first three pointed shot he can get. Is that what now, we're looking at? Credit. He was putting the ball on the floor a little bit yesterday, but you, you made a good point. There are some ill-advised opportunities there too, but you know you, you'd like to see a guy who can be a little bit multidimensional and, and at least be credible as a as a slasher. Because again, if this team just becomes perimeter oriented. That's that's a recipe for disaster. He's he's the he's the only guy who I think can have an inside out kind of presence other than other than Tyler Lydon. He, he was an average in six rebounds, four or five assists last year at Nebraska. Um, you know, maybe he's, he, he's auditioning to be a shooting guard in the National Basketball Association this year. So he wants to prove to everyone how good he can shoot, just like Dante Green did. Got a nice. 
got drafted, got a nice contract, and then off to dis- he disappears. Um, he's exposed. Um, now, Andrew White's three-point shot looks really good. Whenever he misses, he doesn't miss by well, much. He made his first two. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it, it, you think that's going to be a, you know, a good day for him. He scores two points the rest of the way. After the first, what, yeah. three, four minutes, he scored two points in the remaining 35 minutes of play. But, yeah, if this team is modeled after that Dante Green team and Andrew White is Dante Green, that does not bode well. Dante Green, is, despite all the uh, hopes that he was going to start a dynasty, um, yeah. goes to the NIT and then off to the NBA. And just um, that team was was very frustrating to watch. Similar. Yeah, and Dante Green was 17, 18 points a game as a freshman, which is, you know, traditionally good numbers, but. A lot of this is a team game, and certain guys are wired that way, and certain guys sometimes aren't. Well, this got me to thinking because I got a little bit of, uh, I guess you'd call it Big East uh, envy. Um, I see Villanova being top ranked team in the country. Um, I see these great Big East battles. Uh, you know, Providence is strong this year too, and you know. Creighton, Xavier, the new Big East. The new Big East is great. And one thing about them is they're playing with a chip on their shoulder, just the way we used to play when, you know, we were the Big East was always getting second fiddle um, treatment to the ACC or the Big Ten. And um, part of that, you know, that chip on, on our shoulder and the fun we had in Madison Square Garden for the Big East tournament every year, it was part of like what made Syracuse basketball and it's definitely different now. And so, you know, the fifth topic is, has this move to the ACC hurt our basketball program? Now I'm not going to argue that it was not a good move to make for football because who knows where we'd be right now with our football program. We'd probably be an independent, right? And overall the Olympic sports and all that stuff and all the extra money that's coming into the school, the move to the ACC, our hand was forced. It was a good move overall. But for our basketball program, it doesn't fit. We just don't fit in that dumb league. And I want to be playing against Villanova and St. John's and Georgetown and Butler and Creighton and Xavier um, and Providence and Seton Hall. It, I got... That's who I want. That's the that that's the brand of basketball and the style of basketball, and and I want to root for my conference mates, and all that's gone. And I I think overall that the move to the ACC hurt our basketball program. There's only one game that anybody cares about nationally for Syracuse anymore, and that's Syracuse Duke. Maybe Syracuse North Carolina a little bit too, but um, you know, back in the Big East days of Big Monday, I mean. And, and recruits too. They love to play in those. They love seeing those Big East games. I know they did. These Northeastern recruits, and it's just different. It's we're losing our identity. And yeah, we did go to the Final Four last year, but you know, it was a rough regular season, and this is a rough regular season too. And uh, I just feel I'm just still depressed about the fact that we're playing ACC basketball. And I don't know if you feel the same way. Tell me, I'm crazy. You're not crazy at all. I feel the exact same way. Wait, we grew up on the Big East. That will always be our favorite era of Syracuse basketball. I don't see it ever changing. Syracuse is sort of a afterthought in the ACC. Sure. And even though they were a Final Four team last year, the ACC is going to market their programs. They're going to market Duke, and they're going to market North Carolina. And they'll probably market Louisville because Louisville is good at – football and basketball and they've got Rick Pitino and they are a little bit more flashy than Syracuse is. They're gonna market Virginia because Virginia's been successful. But they also market the teams that they that grew up in that league. And this is you know, this team is a newcomer to the league. I don't I don't see <clears throat> from a basketball standpoint <clears throat> that it's any better than it was. We all know why it had to happen. It had to happen because of football and make football continue to be relevant. Yeah. <clears throat> but from a basketball standpoint, the Big East was just as good a league as this one is. It's not helped. I'm not sure if it's how much it's hurt, but I do think that you know this is a this is a northeastern school and a northeastern program, and they've always recruited guys from the northeast. And the competition has always been northeastern schools. 
Providence and Seton Hall and Villanova and Georgetown. I mean, that's that's sort of the sweet spot of this program. As much as we kind of thought this is a national program and it, it, it kind of should be, it's still a Northeastern program. And so it's not a team that should compete against teams from Georgia and Florida and Virginia and, and South Carolina on a regular basis. But, yeah, it's required to do so now. Yeah. So it's, it's never going to feel right. It's never going to be right. But then again, my 12-year-old son – his his main recollection is Syracuse is an ACC team, so that's that. This is the new era of Syracuse, and we've just got to accept it. It's not helped. I don't think it's hurt. I mean, because they've been to a Final Four, but I think we still have to figure out how this team fits in this conference. Because right now they're a middle of the road pack. They're they're in the middle. They're a middle of the pack team in this conference. They always have been since they joined. That's really, that hasn't really changed. Yeah, well, um, kudos to the Big East Conference, basketball conference. Um, oh, yeah. Like you said, I would love to be in that conference. Yeah. I, I love that. Xavier's here in Cincinnati. And I, I watch games I do ACC games. Well, the uh, – you know, you know how good it feels for Georgetown to beat us, not just because they don't like us and, you know, we usually have the upper hand on them in the past 20 years, but for the conference pride or how good it feels to UConn to beat us. I was going to say UConn, same thing. Same thing. You know, it, uh, because there's, a, there, there's that perception that Syracuse is in the haves, quote-unquote, and that Georgetown and UConn are in the have-nots because they're not a power five, but – Heck, if you can you can beat those teams, that makes you just as just as strong. Cincinnati here, you know, they have the same claim in the American Conference. It's not a terrible league, but right. you're never going to get the acclaim of the ACC, whether you like it or not. And so they come into the you know they come in with a chip on their shoulder, and we don't have a chip on our shoulder. It's almost like uh, it's, it's that's what's missing. Uh, is, I, yeah, I agree with you. I that, I'm, I'm curious if this team plays against the Duke or Carolina. If they will bring a chip on their shoulder, if they even have that have that wired into them at all, yeah, I don't, I, I don't see it. Yeah, I certainly don't either. No urgency, no uh, really a lack of pride. If you're going to let Georgetown come into the dome in front of thirty thousand fans on Per Washington's day and uh, and lose like that, then you're lacking some pride too. Yeah. So, well. Let's have a little more fun. Let's go to Connor's Corner Trivia. I have no idea what you have in store for us today, but it's always good. And, um, and yeah, let's, uh, let's have some fun. Well, you probably could have guessed, given the uh, festivities yesterday, that we would dedicate our trivia tonight to Dwayne Pearl Washington. Beautiful. Uh, one it. of our favorite Syracuse players of all time. One of everyone's favorite Syracuse players of all time. Sure. But you know what? It, it, it's funny. I, talking about Pearl, I read this the other day. I think Jim Bayheim was quoted as saying, Pearl's a guy that you couldn't describe. You just yeah. had to see it. Yep. And I think we can all agree to that. Anybody, any of us that w- lived through that era, loved Syracuse through that era, you just had to see him. And I have, a, I have a difficult time. My son, who loves basketball, 12 years old, loves Syracuse, has been a handful of games in his life, even though we live 500 miles away. He doesn't understand Pearl. As yeah. much as I've tried to convey that to him, you know, he sees the shake and bake, and he sees some of these things. He's and he sees somebody that that's sort of chubby, a little bit, a little bit slow, can't jump, and you know, but he he, he makes plays. Yeah, you can't explain it to him. It's a hard thing just to to articulate to him. And and we, I, I so I had some trivia here in front of me, but like even this, like to talk about the facts that surround Pearl, still does it injustice. Yeah, his stats weren't weren't overwhelming by any means. Um, no, not at all. Great assist and, guy, and, and, and unfortunately, not even wins or losses. Yeah, you know, tough, he, tough break having to play David Robinson in the NCAA tournament his junior year. Right. For he for go he having to play through the Patrick Ewing era at Georgetown. I mean, you know, he ran and on Chris Mullen at St. John's and Ed Pinkney and company at Villanova. I mean, that was certainly the golden age of the Big East. Um, but uh, uh, you know, and also awesome. to to not play his senior year, which. Uh, you know, I'm sure if he could go back, he, he would have played that senior year. Um, and who knows what could have happened. Uh, certainly national title contenders. You know, but we went to the 
national championship that's, game that's, without that's, that's that's a great what if yeah we could, we could we could we could have that conversation over beer sometime what would that team be have been like with pearl when with sherman douglas having taken a back seat to pearl yeah and what would sherman douglas's whole career have been like he would have lost a sophomore year backing up pearl um I, and may never transferred who knows yeah and certainly Sherman Douglas had a way better NBA career than Pearl. So that's always an interesting thing when talking about Pearl is, um, you know, how Sherman Douglas really eclipsed him statistically and in wins and losses and in the NBA. Um, yeah. But you're right. You can't explain it. And I um, am good friends with a, a younger guy, 20, uh, 23, 24-year-old guy um, who doesn't remember Pearl and, you know, asked me the same thing, you know, what what made Pearl so great? And I was like, you just had to – had to be there. You had to feel the electricity in the dome and in Madison Square Garden. You had to see the way he carried himself, some of the plays he made. And really, to me, a lot of, and we'll talk about this at the end, was just a lot of the plays that stick out in my mind that he made, you know, that will live on forever, whether it was a shot against Michael, shaking, baking Michael Jackson, breaking his ankles and hitting a shot to beat Georgetown, the half-court shot, um, you know, one of my favorite highlights, too, is where he's on the break against Boston College and he fakes going behind the back and the guy, yep. and then he just goes in for the easy layup. He did it all without effort, and he did look out of shape and fat and slow, but against St. John's in the Madison's, in the Big East final, he took the basketball from one end of the court to the other in about two and a half seconds, only to get right. blocked by Walter Berry. But He had a different gear. Yeah. So uh, let's do it. Let's do some trivia. All right. Dwayne Washington, what was his middle name? Oh, man. Jeez, I feel like I should know this. Um, Dwayne Washington's middle name. It wasn't Pearl. Oh, it was not. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to have you give me this one. I don't even think I could guess. Yeah, Dwayne Alonzo Washington. Alonzo, yep, that's right. That's pretty when cool. did, when, at what point was he given the moniker Pearl? Think How of, old was he? Ooh, I know it had to be on the playgrounds of uh, New York City. Um, somebody had to dub him that in honor of Earl Monroe being similar. So I'll say in a pickup game in, in New York City. So it may have been a pickup game. He was given that nickname when he was eight years old. Wow. So think of an eight-year-old Pearl Washington, an eight-year-old Dwayne Washington, and somebody calling him Pearl. Somebody comparing him to Earl the Pearl Monroe right. at eight Yeah, I mean, he had reached legendary status before he ever came to Syracuse, and, and he announced that he was coming to Syracuse to Al McGuire on national TV right. in an era before people did that. Right. I mean, he was yeah. famous before he came to Syracuse. And it's it was a weird thing with Pearl because, like, he loved the, the electricity, but he was never like a, a – you know, a braggart or anything, but he was a showman. And it's a hard, that's a, almost a weird kind of dichotomy of a, of a man that loved to be in the spotlight, yet didn't. Humble. That, that didn't, didn't welcome it. Like, it, yeah. It, yeah, it was humble, but it, yeah, it's a hard thing to describe still. He, he shone the brightest in the spotlight, but he never sought the spotlight, I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah. 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 But he welcomed it. Yeah. And he was certainly comfortable under the bright lights of the Madison Square Garden or in front of 30,000 people at the Dome. Absolutely. Yeah. What high school did Dwayne Pearl Washington go to? Uh, boy, Christ, no, Boys and Girls. Boys and Girls. Correct. Boys and Girls High School. In what borough? Uh, Brooklyn. Correct. Which, uh, what professional teams did Pearl Washington play for in his career? Drafted by the Nets, signed a contract with Avia Sneakers, and yeah, then <laughs> and then he spent some time with the Miami Heat. And geez, I think that's it, right? Well, technically, no. Played uh, professional. I didn't say NBA team. Oh, professionally. Um, geez, did he try going overseas? Not to my knowledge, no. So two years in the CBA. Oh, man, isn't that sad? That is sad. Rapid City Thrillers and the San Jose Jammers. Mm. <laughs> By that time, though, he was he had really put on a few pounds, I think. Well, and he just didn't have the love for it anymore. Yeah. You know, the fire went out for him, which is which is utterly sad to those of us that watched him at his peak. Yeah. But the NBA will do that to guys, you know? 
It's a business. Yeah, what a ball handler. You know, so not- here's, a, here's a great here's a great stat. In Pearl Washington's career, in games decided by one point, what was his team's record? Syracuse. Well, I know they lost to St. John's in the Big East final in 85 or 86. Um, and that was a one-point game. Um, geez, I couldn't come up with the, with the exact number, but I bet that it was well over 500. Significantly well over 500. Their record in one-point games in Pearl Washington's era was 6-1. and one. Wow. With that one being the one that we all remember. Yeah. One I was just talking about in against St. John's. True or false? Pearl started all four years of high school. Pearl started all four years of high school. Geez, just because you're asking this, I'm going to say no. Maybe he played behind. Pearl started three years of high school. I'm going to say no there, too. (laughs) Just because I asked. Yeah, I'm going to say he started his junior and senior year. Pearl didn't start until he was a junior in high school because his coach would only start seniors. Jeez, imagine that. Exception Pearl's junior year. Imagine that in this day and age. All right. right. Let's talk about the records that Pearl holds. Is is he first in any statistical category at Syracuse University? If you go to the, the media guide right now, is he listed first in any category? Geez, you know, I'd have to say, uh, you know, maybe assists per game, but probably not. Um, I think over his career, he averaged about seven assists per game. Um, that would be the only one I think that he could potentially, because none of the total, none of the totals, he only played three years. He only played three years, yeah. So for for the career, it would be very difficult for him to have had any of the records. So I'm going to say no, none. There is one category, one statistic. I went through that media guide with a fine-tooth comb today. <laughs> one statistic where he's he's the he he ranks number one in Syracuse history. Well, that statistic is single-game turnover. <laughs> really? Yeah, he had 11 turnovers against Georgetown in the Big East tournament in 1986. In a winning effort, keep in mind. Wow, 11 turnovers and they won. And that's his yeah. sole claim to fame if you're looking at the career records. It yeah, just, that's crazy. It just goes back to what you're saying about uh, there's nothing that you can point to to say this is why Pearl Washington was uh, great. There, You can't say he was the all-time leading scorer. You can't say, you, know, you can't even say that he, you know, had these great individual statistical games. Um, you just had to watch the body of a, as a whole and the way he filled the dome and um, the way that he lifted this Syracuse program who was on the rise in a really difficult Big East to be on par and be able to beat teams like Georgetown and St. John's when they had Chris Mullen and Patrick Ewing. Um, it was an unbelievable time to be a basketball fan. And we I always talk about St. John's and Georgetown, but don't forget about Pittsburgh with Charles Smith and Jerome Lane and Boston College with Michael Adams. Um, You know, in Villanova with Ed Pinckney and Dwayne McClain. Yeah, Seton Hall, guys, I think that was, Pearl was there before Terry DeHare. Providence was in the Final Four in 87. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the, the league was incredible. And so Pearl, without Pearl, I don't know if Syracuse would have ever been in that top tier, you know, during that era. That no. the greatest era, you know, of Big East basketball. Oh, no question. No question. Um, all right, I got a couple more. Um, where does Pearl rank in the all-time Syracuse assists, total number of assists, career? Again, only three years, but he did average um, six or seven a game throughout that stretch. So... Well, he's probably not in the top five as some of the great four-year point guards, guys like Jason Hart or, um, geez, trying to think of some, or Sherman Douglas, who obviously was is way ahead of him and number one on that list. Um, I would say he's probably somewhere between five and ten, probably more down towards ten. Uh, he's 
fourth career. Oh, wow. In three years. Three years. So who's ahead of him? Sherm Douglas. Yep, Sherm Douglas was first. Uh, Jason Hart. Jason Hart, good call. That's he's second. And then, uh, and we're talking all time, right? Correct. Well, all time. And I mean, keep in mind, Bayheim, pre-Bayheim, most of the time. I forget when the freshman became eligible, but you know, you go back to early seventies. Yeah, I don't know if uh, somebody like Jimmy Lee or someone off of those early teams, or somebody like. Uh, Eric Sanifer, Gene Waldron, um, hmm, you know Billy Owens, maybe. Not Billy Owens, not a bad guess, but no. This one, it, it, it it's this one's subtle, but you'll when I tell you, you'll, you'll. I know it's not Josh Wright. Definitely not Josh Wright. <laughs> maybe, so. uh, you know, maybe a guy like Jerry Magnum. One of his contemporaries, though. One of Pearl's, or well, one of Josh Wright's contemporaries, jo- Johnny Flynn. Oh, in three years? Hmm. Jeez, I'm drawing a blank. I'm trying to think of four-year point guards at Syracuse, and uh, yeah, I'm really drawing a blank here. Jerry McNamara. Yeah, Jerry McNamara. So, oh, so that's three. One, two, three. McNamara, yeah. Hart, and uh, Douglas. And then Pearl yeah. in three He's years. And Pearl. And then Adrian Autry was fifth. Oh, Autry's would have been a good guess, too. Four, there's a good four-year guy. Yeah. So um, with that said, Pearl is the second in his – uh, career assists per game. So again, because Jason Hart was a four-year guy, McNamara was a four-year guy, Sherman Doug was a four-year guy, Adrian Ochi was a four-year guy. So Sherman averaged seven assists a game, Pearl averaged 6.7 assists per game. So Pearl was second on a, on a per-game basis. Okay. Where does Pearl Washington rank total points in a career in Syracuse history? Oh boy, total points for the Pearl in Syracuse history. Again, he he was a good he was a solid score. He averaged um I think fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen points in that range through his three years. I think it went up every year. Um probably around fifteen hundred career points. Um uh, I'm going to put him down there around 12th, 13th. Uh, unfortunately, you got to go a little deeper than that. Yeah, 1920 maybe. He was 25th. Okay. I mean, there's and there's some there's some guys on that list ahead of him that were pre Bayheim era guys: Rudy Hack, Dennis Duvall, Roosevelt Bowie, but <clears throat> Dave Bing, obviously. Yeah. Um, so 25th all time, 1,490 points. Oh. Pearl was the 15th quickest Syracuse player to hit 1,000 points for whatever that's worth in 69 games. Okay. The quickest. Dante Green. <laughs> and it took him 44 games. Wow. Great number. Way to go, Dave Bing. Yeah, we we always talk about, hear, hear about Dave Bing. Um, but we can't appreciate it. We didn't see him play. But you know, you talk to anybody that that did, or Dave, or Jim Beheim when he talks about him. Uh, when we talk about the greatest Orangeman players ever, you know, you always throw him in there. But we don't really know. We want to say Carmelo or Jerry McNamara or Pearl, or Billy Owens or Derek Coleman, um, or Roosevelt Bowie. Uh, but it's probably it's Dave Bing. We just never saw him. Yeah, it's crazy in hindsight to think about Dave Bing coming to Syracuse. It was very much a regional program. Yeah, changed everything. Up here, great game, even greater player. So, what else we got here? That was a scare one. You, you, no. no, we're breaking up a little bit here, Brad. Think about this one a little bit. Okay. Sorry, it's probably my voice. Well, yeah, I know you're era. struggling. You're struggling with a cold. It looks like the internet connection struggling a little too. We're going here. back from the late seventies. Okay. How many guys had average point per game? How's that? Can you hear? Me? Um, it was breaking up. How many guys enough? going back to the late eighties? How many guys average what? Average more points per game than Pearl. Oh, okay. Over a career. Well, he averaged fifteen points a game, but you know, I think Coleman, I think Owens. Um, McNamara, Carmelo Anthony, 
maybe Akeem Warwick, maybe Dante Green. Um, I'm going to say, it sounds to me like probably a dozen. I'd say 12. Fewer than that. Significantly fewer than that. Oh, really? For a career. A career. career. Okay. Um, 15 points. Per average, what, 15 points a game is a career for his career? Per average, 15.7 points a game in his career. Okay. Um, yeah, Dante Green, maybe Lawrence Moten. Lawrence Moten, maybe. Let's say five. Let's say five, then. Five guys, that's correct. Oh, that's wow. absolutely correct. Okay. Lawrence Moten, John Wallace, Billy Owens, Dante Green, Johnny Flynn. No, that's a testament. That is a testament, absolutely. Yeah, because it's, you know, and, and you don't necessarily think a pearl is a great scorer. You didn't. You didn't have he the, brought so many other aspects to the game, but no, I mean, over three years, he he scored the basketball. No three pointer, no three point line either when Pearl Correct. played. All all those other guys benefited from the three point line. Yep. Huh. Not that Pearl would have been knocking down many threes, although uh, maybe if that three point line existed, he would have developed more of a jump shot but uh yeah i can imagine it would have made him more of a threat yeah yeah no the, the unfortunate thing we think of pearl is the lack of team success that they had <clears throat> you know they were they were they were good and they were on they were verging great in the tournament though i in think the tournament yeah. that's where they struck right um you know he ran so up how against many Mo- tournaments and pearl win uh one correct no. Carol. yeah or zero, zero. Zero. Yeah. They lost in the finals to Georgetown as a freshman when Michael Graham didn't punch Andre Hawkins. Yeah, but that was crap. Right. They lost in the semis to Georgetown his sophomore year when Ewing fortunately didn't punch Pearl. Yeah, or he would have killed him then and there. Right. <laughs> and as a junior, they lost to St. John's at, that, at, at the end. Yeah. And that that was one of the most difficult Syracuse losses of my life. That St. John's loss. I know. Um, but but yeah, I mean, and in the NCAA tournament, not much success. Um, I know they he lost to Mark Price and George Tech one year. That was difficult. And then the second yeah. round loss to David Robinson. What was the third loss? So you just so the Georgia Tech loss was a sophomore year. Yeah. To Paul, the first round lost to Georgia Tech. That was a good Georgia Tech team. Oh yeah, that was a good game. Mark Price, John Sally. Junior year, they lost to Navy, obviously, David Robinson. Mm-hmm. What we heard about that one is it was at the Dome. Right, we had a home game. And they had played Navy earlier in the year and beat them by 20 at the Dome. Yeah. So in the rematch, they turned around and lost by 12 at, uh, at home. Right. They don't even do home games anymore in the NCAA tournament yeah. because, of games, because of matchups like that, which didn't even work in Syracuse's favor that day. Yep. As a freshman, Pearl's, uh, Pearl's freshman year, they beat VCU in the first in the they got a bye because there weren't sixty four teams at that time. Right, lost. They beat VCU, got to the Sweet Sixteen, lost to Virginia. Huh. Pretty good Virginia team. That was post Ralph Sampson, but they still had a lot of talent. But yeah, I mean, it's that that's that's probably when you think of Pearl's legacy and the big moments that he brought, not only in the regular season but also in the Big East tournament. Postseason success was pretty elusive for him. Yeah, most of the great memorable wins, a lot of great memorable losses in the in the in the Big East tournament, but that that Georgetown St. John's game in particular. But um, most of the great memories were, you know, number one ranked Georgetown coming to the dome with Patrick Ewing and Michael Jackson and you know David Wingate, Horace Broadnax, all those guys. And you know Michael Graham, they were they were evil. They were they were bad. And they were tough and they were scary and they seemed invincible. But um, we beat them in the dome, you know, in front of a national television audience, and um, you know it was just fantastic. It was the first like time that you really saw the dome filled with over thirty thousand people and us yeah. taking down, you know, a top ranked team. And um, yeah, and then of course. Pearl's half court shot to beat Boston College when they used to be good. Um, you no, know, it's funny. I was talking. I was talking about that though yesterday, talking with my son, and you know, we showed it. We watched the video again, and he's you know, you and I have seen it three hundred times probably. At least he's probably seen it forty times. Yeah. And he he find he asked me the question. She said he's never asked before. He said was that was that a big game? And I thought about it, 
No, it was a you know midseason game. It was a Saturday night game in the dome on USA Network. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it wasn't like I mean I don't think BC if they were ranked they weren't ranked all that highly. It wasn't like they were a top ten team, right? Series, you know, Slade or whatever. You know, it was just a, it, it was just a tremendous moment, right? You know what part of it was, was but it but it, it, it's it's elevated to this this iconic moment, rightly so because it it, it literally awakened a sleeping giant yeah and i think part of it too looking back on it was that um you know back then not even every game was uh, every game most games weren't on tv across the country so you didn't have all these highlights you didn't have the sports center top tens where every night you're seeing some high school kid hit a full court shot um so the fact that that game was on tv on usa network and that espn had the highlight to show and it it was amazing it was in front of 30 you know i don't know how many people were at that bc game twenty eight thousand maybe um and <coughs> and just the again the style and the flair he, he just when minute he lets it go, you know it's good, and that thing dropped in the middle of the hoop. You know it's like perfect. It was just yep, like, and then he kept running into the locker room, and um, and the place went crazy. Tom Meese was down there on the sideline getting <laughs> harassed by fans, and uh, yeah, I think part of it is because it was in the early age of television, basketball on television. You know, on and during weeknights and not just on the weekends, and. You know, you didn't have you didn't have two hundred games to pull highlights from every night to show on SportsCenter. So, you know, and, I, and in a sense, I almost feel bad for kids of my son's age, like or the younger kids. He's about my the the age he is now is about what I was when Pearl hit that shot. Yeah, and I will always, Jim, I will always remember that shot. I will always remember where I was, where I was sitting. My dad was in his chair, and I was on the couch across the like I, you know, I will vividly remember that. Until the day I die. I yeah, no doubt. Day. He will never have that moment. Yeah. Something that will blow his mind. You know, it, uh, you know, a, a Gordon Hayward hitting a half-court shot against Duke in the finals, maybe. Right? Yeah. But what are the chances of that? Or even like for us, it was like Jerome Lane shattering the backboard right. on Big Monday. Those that... moments are so rare now because everything is broadcast, because everything is right in front of you, because yeah. every highlight is on is on your, your phone tomorrow morning. Yeah. You're, you There's less ability to be mesmerized and blown away by something like we were at that time which is which has elevated those memories to almost larger than life status and then going down the next day to the rec center playing pickup hooping instead of everybody you know <laughs> picking sides and playing everybody's shooting that half court shot from the yeah, exact that's what spot. i told them too i told them that, we, that from that point forward everybody practiced that shot and i said i also did a camp i went to the big orange camp one summer at the dome and by god all of us were at that spot on, on center court in the main court trying to hit that shot yeah yeah, no doubt. Well, we got any, got another one for me, or is that it? We're we've uh, got about we could go all night long, but that's probably yeah. Good. We're running a little, well, not really running behind. We're actually right on time. Uh, give you a little update here on uh, coming up for the Qs, rounding out the year. Eastern Michigan comes to the dome Monday. Um, Syracuse hoping to get back on the. They're winning ways, and then just two days later on Wednesday night, we got St. John's in the Dome. So both are 7 o'clock starts. Um, then they, they're they off until the Tuesday after Christmas when they got Cornell in the Dome at 7, and then uh, New Year's Day, 12.30, at Boston College to open up play in the ACC. And really that's one of the things I think, Brad, that we can uh, – hang our hat on with this team is that maybe when they get into ACC play, they contend, you know, in that league and, and really just no matter what happens in the pre-conference schedule, if we can finish top three or four in the ACC, we're going to go to the NCAA tournament, you know? Well, I, I think those are conversations that you and I are going to have over the next couple of weeks is what will it take? Yeah. Because right now they don't have a good win. No. The best not. win is against Monmouth. Yeah, Monmouth's nine and two. They're no slouch, but that's not that's not one you put you up necessarily put at the top of your resume. Yeah, it was at home. No this neutral team, court wins. Yeah, this this team will this team will need to go at least twelve and six in the ACC to have a chance. I think. Well, we're coming up here. We just got a couple minutes, and um, we just talked a lot about the pearl, and I love talking about the pearl. But um, just some of your quickly some of your fondest memories 
Um, that half court shot is obviously right up there. Yeah, the half court shot obviously is always going to be at the top of that list. <clears throat> you know, I, I I wouldn't call it the fondest memory. One of the most vivid memories was that coast to coast against St. John's, and he got the shot blocked. Yeah. And somehow Walter Berry just knew exactly what Pearl was trying to do on and, that. And another great New York City playground legend. I mean, he was yeah. he was an icon himself. I mean, him and Mullen on the same team. Um, yeah, for me, it uh, I I really enjoy remember that uh, shake and bake move. Uh, like I said, where he faked behind the back on the fast break and broke the. Boston College defender's ankle and just laid it in. That was one that I went out and practiced and, you know, um, tried to add to my repertoire. And I was just really trying to see him Pearl do something and then going out in the backyard and just trying to replicate it over and over again. Just wanted to do everything the way that Pearl did. One, and as, as a player myself at that age, I really looked forward to dishing out assists. I wanted to make passes like Pearl. Um, and I didn't, you know, I wanted to nonchalantly lay it in off the glass like Pearl and, um, it wasn't really, never really wanted to work on my jump shot cause Pearl didn't work on his jump shot. It was just, <laughs> I just really wanted to play like Pearl and, um, obviously that was impossible, but, uh, it was fun to, uh, to try to replicate the stuff that he was doing and, and his style. And, no, the, the one thing that he did as well as anybody at that time, and it was a little bit ahead of his time even, was the was the look away pass. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that was one thing, you know. And, and I don't remember one specific play as, as much. I mean, there's a couple that that are in the back of my head of you know hitting Sean Karens for a layup on a on a look away, or um, you know streaking Raph Addison for a dunk. But you know he didn't throw a lot of alley oops. Certainly, like Sherman Douglas was the you know champion of the alley oop pass. Um, but I remember recognizing, you know, Pearl probably enabled that recognition of what a tool a look-away pass is and what it does to a defender. Yeah. And, to, and he, he really kind of, you know, if, 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 I, if I took away anything and, you know, you were a guard and I wasn't, but at that time, you know, that was, that was powerful to me. Of, wow, look what he can do with the basketball. Just, yeah. just a magician. Where, where his eyes are looking. Effortless. Um, he yeah. did it effortlessly. And so um, – but some memories I have, uh, some like more personal memories that aren't really uh, things he did. Going to the dome, getting by that line by the locker room because I knew he was going to run out and having him slap my hand. That was like you know the biggest thrill ever back then, just to touch him. And uh, I also remember after a Syracuse game, um, taking our time getting out of the dome and then getting to the car and driving. And I saw Pearl Washington in street clothes. And as a kid, I was like, oh, it didn't, you know, it was crazy. It was crazy just to see Pearl Washington out in the wild, you know. <laughs> um, and then my final memory is just from a few years ago in the Dome. Um, Pearl was there with his, I don't know if it was his wife or his girlfriend, but she was there at the ceremonies, the same woman. And, um, you know, going over to Pearl and just asking if I could take my picture with him. And he he was more than happy to do it, you know, and, you know, just think about how many times when he comes to Syracuse, people are asking him that and how many other people he was their childhood hero of. But for me, just, you know, Hey Pearl, you know, you were my childhood hero. I loved you. Can I take a picture? And absolutely, you know, and then stops what he's doing, turns around, smiles. I got a great picture of me and Pearl. And, um, my mom got his autograph for me once. Um, can't remember where she was or where he was, but, um, he, my my mother said, and this was much later on, um, in after Pearl has, was gone um, from Syracuse and back, and she, my mom said, uh, my you're my boy's, he's your you're his hero, and he goes, hey, you're, he's not such a, you're my little boy's hero or something, and she and Pearl said, he's not such a little boy anymore, I bet. <laughs> so yeah, well, hey Brad, we are running late. We're gonna get out of here. Um, I want to thank everybody for joining us on the show. Um, we'll be off next week for Chris cause it's Christmas, right? Um, but I think we'll probably come back and do a January 1st show on New Year's night. Um, after the Boston college game. Um, but check front page of fingerlakes1.com. You can subscribe to our feed on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or via RSS. We're online at fingerlakes1.tv slash upstate orange. And so for the professor, Brad Connor, I'm Jim Sinecropi. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, everybody, and hey, we can turn this around, so uh, 
Right? We can turn it around, right? Yeah, we'll I see. Think we can. Yeah, I think we'll we can. see. We'll Power see. Power positive thinking. So let's go orange. See you. Merry Christmas.